Hey everyone, welcome back to the Micro Start Show. Apologies, I'm a bit late, just on a phone call and realized I took it past seven o'clock, actually closing a deal right now. Um, just talked about a private off-market deal um, with a wholesaler. So that's why I'm a few minutes late here. Hopefully the stream's up and running okay. Uh, my battery's a little low on my phone, so apologies for that. Um, if I am up and running, someone jump on the chat and just say, hey, you can hear and see me loud and clear. Um, yeah, so hello crypto, looks like it is running. Perfect, so you guys can hear me and, and can see what's up. So today we're gonna talk about, as I wait for people to jump on and get the notification, um, we're gonna talk about how to make a lot of money. I talk in this channel a lot about strategies to save money and strategies to invest your money to make more, right? Because I talk about the three things to building wealth. There's three levers. There's what you spend, so try to be frugal. There's what you earn, what you make, so try to make more money. And then there's the return on your investment, right? Which is really important too. But that only matters if you have money to invest. So when you're just getting started, or if you're at a, in a position where you need to earn a lot of money, that's what this segment was about. So I thought, I do a lot of videos on frugality. I do a lot of videos on how to you know, save money and how to make your money stretch, right? And I do videos on how to invest your money, right? Talking about real estate investing, talking about investing in stocks, exchange traded funds and things like that and private lending. But I think today's video should be about how to make money. And I, of all people, have beta tested a lot of different ways to make money. I've done things from vending machines. I've done wholesaling, assignment of contracts. I've done a realtor part-time gig. I used to tutor on the side. I had a big tutoring business running when I was in university or a small tutoring business running while I was in university. I worked as a lecturer assistant. I've worked for Canada Board of Services Agency, worked for KPMG. I've worked for so many different places, done so many different jobs. I even used to work for Tim Hortons for two years. So I've done a little bit of everything and I can say without a shadow of a doubt, in my opinion, the best and safest way to make a lot of money, call it a million dollars in one year, is through real estate investing. And there is no other way I know with the same level of safety that real estate provides. There, there just isn't. If you could do, so there's like a million ways you could break down this million dollars, but one of the ways that I used to make, and I think this is in like equity or capital appreciation, I made a million dollars in one year, and that was my last year. Um, now I haven't realized this because I haven't sold any of the properties. So they're unrealized million dollar gains, but you can make a million dollars and it'd be very tax efficient, right? Because when you sell the property, you get capital gains tax treatment, which means at most you're paying 20 to 25% effective total tax. So if you make a million dollars, you'd get to net about 750,000 of that if you made it in a way that was um, through capital appreciation. So that's buying real estate. And I'm gonna talk about how you do that with the Burr strategy and more specifically, the Rosart Real Estate Burr Snowball strategy that I've used before. That was how I bought 10 properties in three years. It was how I did 50 properties in, I guess, 15 or 18 months. Um, so I've done a lot of deals, right? And I've been through the ringer and I've lost money in real estate too. I don't want you to think that real estate is like this guaranteed way to make a ton of money. You can make a lot of money in real estate. Hey, Shaylin. You can make a lot of money in real estate, but you can also lose money. So you have to be very, very careful when you're investing in real estate. Now, the downside is very mitigated. I think it's very hard to lose a lot of money in real estate. Like if you're buying cash flowing properties, residential that rent out to normal everyday people, you're pretty safe. You've got cash flow coming in. It's fairly likely you can rent this property out. You'll be all good, right? So I want to say that one of the ways, one of the ways is to do what I did and find, so I used to buy last year, I'd buy $200,000 properties, refinance them at 325. 
So I'd spend about 30,000 renovating them. If I $200,000 property, refinance it at 325, it's worth 325. And you buy these $200,000 properties, you change the use into duplex, you add bedrooms or bathrooms, those sorts of things. And that's it. That's the secret to actually uh, building money. Now do that in a longer period of time. So you do that one of those deals every single month and you've got 12 of those deals. That's $1.2 million. So that's an example of what you can do, or you can find deals that are, you know, a lot worse. And we'll break down how you actually do those deals. How do you get the financing? We can talk about that in a little bit here. I'm sure there'll be a question and answer where we can talk about strategies to raise capital or raise money, I guess, from family and friends and things like that, or just use bank money uh, primarily, or B lender is the next best way to do it. Or you can join venture like I have with investors who have money. Because guess what, guys like me, and I, it's weird, I'm like on the investor side now too. I have a net worth and I don't have a lot of energy or time. I don't wanna be grinding the deals anymore. I don't wanna be doing the renovations. I don't wanna be doing the property management. I have people to do that. So I partner with people who do that and I provide the capital. That's what most people who have several million dollars, they don't wanna be doing the renovating work. But if you have no money, you're down to do the renovation work. Like if you don't have, if you have like $100,000 net worth, you're probably down to do the renovation work, to do the property management, to do all of that, because your time isn't that valuable yet. You haven't built a net worth or skills that are valuable enough to make you not want to do those things anymore, right? Whereas the wealthy investors have. So you got to connect those two things. But that's one. The other way you could do is just do like mediocre deals, like MLS deals all day, you can make 50 grand a deal. Like I'm, I went on MLS and I looked for deals, you know, about a week ago and I saw four or five deals on there that had $50,000 in margin. Hey, Future Wiz, good to see you on. I can see your chat. Eric, don't rent to degenerates. Yes, that is actually a cornerstone of successful real estate cash flow investment. So if you're looking to cash flow, you need to be smart about who you rent to. This is why I like Airbnb so much in London. It's not regulated right now, thank goodness. And if it is regulated, I think there's gonna be licenses in place, which is fine, we can deal with that. What we can't deal with is tenants that go six months not paying and it takes them that long to be evicted. The, I would love for everyone who's watching this right now to go on their social media and share about how unfair the Residential Tenancy Act is for landlords. It takes six to eight months to evict a tenant from the day they stop paying. If they're paying $2,000 a month in rent, we are talking about potentially up to $20,000 in legal theft and it's legal. It's not even criminally chargeable and the landlords can't even go after the tenants who don't have jobs or don't have assets. You can't seize ODSP. You can't seize Ontario works. You can't, you can't garnish those wages. So if they are broke and they have nothing, they don't have to pay rent and they get away with it. That's a real problem. We should all be advocating for a fair system. Even if you're a tenant and you're watching this right now, you should be advocating for a fair system because guess what? Those tenants that go eight months without paying, Guess what I do as a landlord when I re-rent the unit out? I jack the rent up to cover my losses. So rents go up. The RTA is causing rents to jump like they never jumped before. If you wanna blame anyone for the current housing crisis that we have, you can thank the Landlord Tenant Board. You can thank the Residential Tenancy Act. Facts, like the government creates rules that make it super unfair for tenants and allow them to abuse the system to be fair, in the 90s, it was in the landlord's favor and they swung the other way and made, it, you know, made an act in 2000, 2003 that was a Residential Tenancy Act, which actually made things completely unfair for landlords. And I'm sure it'll swing back the other way again and it'll be a great time for everyone because we never are able to seek balance. But I would love if we could share that this is the problem, right? 
and you make a great point, Eric. I love that point that you made. If you rent to the wrong tenants or you buy properties with bad tenants in them, they give a bad name for all the rest of the tenants, the 95% of tenants that are amazing, that pay their rent, that don't destroy the units. It's the five and 10%. And based on the numbers I've seen, it's probably closer to 20% of tenants are abusing the system. That's like one in five. I think it's probably closer to what I've seen. Now that's surveying maybe a few thousand tenants in London. So maybe that's a very small survey, but in my opinion, that's a large enough survey for me to gather some data. Now, that's a problem, right? If you can pay, you can pay rent late and not get a penalty. That's a problem. If you can damage a unit and get away with it, that's the problem. Um, but anyway, that makes it really hard for you to make a ton of money quick. But, but if you're buying vacant properties, turning them around and then renting them out to a qualified tenants, and I mean tenants that have something to lose, tenants with assets, tenants with jobs, tenants with great credit scores, you won't get burned. Those tenants pay their rent. And if they don't, you go after, you seize their assets because they have a good credit score. They don't want their credit score to be destroyed. They have money in the bank. They have a job, an employer. They aren't going to skip on rent. So anyway, that's my whole, just go Airbnb. You know why? Airbnb takes the credit card and if the, the occupant damages the unit, you just charge the credit card. You can't even go after damages here in Ontario when a landlord, it's just so messed up. Anyway, Airbnb solves all of those problems right now. Um, so anyway, we're not gonna get into that digression, but. Forget the cash flow. The cash flow aside, if you buy 10 deals at 100,000 a piece, there's a million bucks. If you do 20 MLS deals in a year, I know 20 might seem like a lot, but it's actually not that much work. If you partner with investors, it's totally doable in a year. I did 50. So I, I know that one person can do 20. It'll be hard at the start. You'll do one deal, you'll go three, four months, you'll document everything, you'll take pictures, you'll do a track record of how you made 50 grand, and you'll show that to the next investor, and then you get another investor, and they'll probably do more deals with you. All you need is one investor. One guy like me, who's got some money, who can qualify for some mortgages, reach out to someone like me, but like not me, someone else. And, or maybe you do want to pitch me. If you have a really good deal, pitch me. I, I am actively fund, I will fund deals. If someone comes to me with a good deal and the deal is good enough and I trust the operator, I will fund the deal. 100%, I will JV with you. Right, you're looking for a JV partner, reach out. I will JV with you. But anyway, I probably know someone who will JV with you anyway, but um, you, you reach out to a JV partner. You do really well by them on their first deal. That means you might not make much money. You might give them 70% of the profit on the first deal. And that's okay, because you're building a track record. The second deal you go for 50-50 profit. And you might renovate the whole property for free. You might paint it and lay the floors and do all that for free to keep the budget low to impress the investor, right? Now that investor wants to do two, three, four, five more deals with you, right? And keep the ball rolling. So that's an example of how you can use real estate to make a bunch of money really quickly. But in a three-year period, right? In year one, you're probably just doing three, four, five deals. By year two, you could spin up to doing 10, 12 deals. By year three, I think anyone can do three years investing in real estate. I think by the third year, when you're done the real estate rose heart snowball, you should be able to do 20 deals. 20 deals means you could earn a million dollars. Real estate is a high value skill in that way. If you can find deals that are even like slightly, no, forget under market, buy deals at market price and then transform the deal. I'll give you an example. I bought a uh, property that was a four bedroom property and I converted it into a six bedroom student rental. I added bathrooms, added bedrooms and renovated the property into a duplex. Now, I paid market value for the property. I didn't even get a deal on this, the deal that I'm thinking of right now. I didn't even get a deal on it. I bought it at market value. I added value through renovation and that renovation cost me say 30 or 40,000, but I added 100,000 in value through that renovation. Now, I didn't buy a great deal. I bought an MLS deal and now I just made 60, 70 grand net of renovation costs. Why? Because I added strategic value. That is how you make a lot of money in real estate is you add strategic value. 
You have to find ways to make the property more valuable, to change the use of the property. It might comp out as a single family property by itself, right, when you buy it. But if you transform it into a duplex, now it will comp against other duplexes and maybe have a much higher appraisal value because the comparables or the comps will be much, much higher, right? So you can change the use of the property and that will increase value. So that's what a good real estate investor does is they take a deal, ideally a good deal that they bought on the buy. So ideally they bought it below market value, but even if they didn't, you add value strategically. Maybe that means increasing rents somehow. Maybe that means decreasing expenses somehow, right? Either revenue increases or expenses decrease. So your net operating income goes up or it means you added value in some way adding bedrooms, adding bathrooms, adding units. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to say that real estate investing can be one of the highest money makers that I know. It's the highest. That, that's it. That's, that's what I wanted to share with this, this video. I, I just wanted to get that out there, get that out in the world. Uh, I'm going to go in the hot tub tonight. So I'm going to make this video 30 minutes. So someone remind me when we get to 28 minutes to cut the video off because I promised my daughter we do a hot tub session. Um, yeah, what have I been up to this week? I usually do an update of what I've been up to. So what do I normally get up to? Um, the last week I've been focused on getting my house finished up. We almost have the basement done, so I'm really excited for that. Um, I might be I might be adding a mentee spot, uh, adding another mentee spot to help with a, a project. I have a special project I'm thinking about where I want to expand into. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say anything at uh, at all except for the fact that I might be looking for um, another mentee to run point on. Uh, helping out with some sales stuff. So if you have a sales background, you're interested in like wholesaling, uh, I'm looking, potentially looking for someone maybe if they're the right fit and I like them. That's that's the biggest thing. Like, do I want to hang out with that person? Uh, you can be really good at sales and if I don't like you, then then I don't want to hang out with you. But anyway, that's, that's it's fit at the end of the day. Fit is the word. But uh, yeah, what else have I been up to these days? Um, banging off all these deals. I was adding up the other day all of the projects I'm involved in right now. And I'm helping like each of my mentees have several deals going right now. And so um, the mentees that have deals going on right now, I'm helping coach them through that. Uh, we're partnered up on, on the deal. I'm a minor partner, but that's just for my, like, my role in lending the money or in um, getting involved and helping with the construction or, or management and stuff like that and providing the deal or strategic value. Um, but I'm involved in currently about 25 projects. I have 25 property renovations right now that I'm involved in. Now I'm in various levels of involvement. Some of them are my personal ones where I'm just like managing a contractor there. Some of them I'm adding like, I'm the design guy or I'm helping the mentee with like high level strategic value. But I just sat down and was like, holy crap, how do I do this on a part-time basis managing this many projects? It's a, I don't want that. So one of my goals for 2020 is to systematize and remove myself from projects. And so I'm doing that even more more than ever, I'm deciding to step back. And so I'm trying to create layers between myself and contractors and trades. Ideally like to have someone who would run point on that piece. And I think I have someone in mind already on my team who would be great for that. Um, so it's just about figuring out a system that allows me to do what I love. And that is look at deals. That is put deals together like the creative, creative financing, putting a deal together. Like you have a property closing say in, four weeks, how do we get it closed? What are the creative strategies we can use to get to the finish line and then maybe refinance it with an A-lender? Or maybe we can go with an A-lender and get things done. So that's what I enjoy. And then most of all, time with family and traveling. I'm leaving for Orlando. I'm flying out to Orlando, Florida in uh, not even less than a week. So I'll be there for about eight days. If anyone's in, in and around Orlando within an hour and a half drive, let's link up. If you're watching this replay right now and you wanna hit link up in Orlando, hit me up. I got a nice house we rented there on Airbnb. 
to support the local Airbnb investors. I was like, ah, let's go in an Airbnb. And it's got a nice pool and stuff like that. So a um, little bit of a family vacation, but also looking at like property in Orlando because it's an interesting market. I just want to learn about it. Um, also just like straight up wanting to explore different parts of the world. I love Orlando. When it's cold here in Canada, it's nice to get away uh, down south. So we have in-laws that go there. They're snowbirds. So it'd be nice to link up with, with them as well. And excited for that trip. Um, February, I guess it's official now, but like February 11th or 12th, I'll be going to Ottawa to speak at a real estate investing um, group. I don't know if they, they haven't officially announced that yet, but I am going to do that. I will be the main speaker that night. And so if you're in Ottawa and you want to link up, I'll be in Ottawa maybe the 12th, 13th, 14th of February. So uh, hit me up. We'll be doing that too. So that'll be fun. See you in Ottawa. Other than that, really excited to just chillax and enjoy the new house. Um, get all these projects that I'm involved in right now finished. We have so many renovation projects going and I'm just tired of all of the construction fatigue. Like project management fatigue is a lot and uh, contractors in general are terrible. Like they're just bad at meeting timelines. They're bad at staying on budget. Um, there's just a ton of theft and, and lying in the industry. So I'm excited to separate myself from that entirely. You guys know that I ran a construction, basically a construction company and basically a property management company with a friend of mine who no longer is doing it. And uh, when he moved away, I was kind of left with the responsibilities. I'm wrapping that up and I'm really excited to wrap that stuff up. I want to partner with someone who wants to run point on construction. I want to partner with someone who wants to run point who has a property management company. I don't want to be involved in those two aspects. That's something I'm happy to partner with someone on and we can you know, create an arrangement that wins for both of us where you know, they're on point and they're doing that well. But I don't want to be doing that stuff. It's just not, for me, it's just not the thing that I want to be doing. So for 2020, Talking about goal setting, and you guys remember, you know, a few weeks back, I talked about that. And I did a, a video on, you know, what my goals and what my retirement goals look like. And uh, for me, an active, fun retirement is one where, like, I'll give you an example. Like, what did I do today? People want to know, like, what life of an entrepreneur or life of a early retired, I guess, someone in their mid twenties. Um, I got up this morning at nine thirty, and I laid in bed for a bit on my phone and Instagram, chilled. And then I went out and hung out with my kids and my wife for a bit. And then some people called me and I just talked to some contractors and that part I don't enjoy that much, but I did like an hour and a half of that, which is just like helping out on some projects that I, I promised some investors and some friends I would help them rally up their projects. So I did some of that. And then we went skating for two hours at the skating rink, which was great. There's like, Canada is amazing. There's a library program with a, a STEM program for your kids to learn about like math and science and technology. And it's free and like, they're skating. They offer it like five times a week in two hour windows. That's completely free. So you can go like skate whenever you want. We had the whole rink to ourselves for like two hours teaching my daughter how to skate. They have free swims. It's just amazing. Like what the YMCA programs, all these programs in Canada offer. You can live a really rich life for like no cost. Like we go skating. That was zero dollars. Um, so we went skating, had some fun, came back, had a big lunch and then met with a contractor, um, built some rapport. This contract is for a personal thing. I'm, I'm putting in like a, a skylight in my house. So I'm just getting a quote on that and then just built some rapport, had some chats with them, uh, picked up some flooring for one of the projects we did, and then hung out for a bit, um, had a little rest, did some more stuff, and then looked at a private deal, which we are end up probably gonna be closing on now. Um, so I just locked that up, like right before I went on the stream. And what else did I do today? That's pretty much it. Now I'm gonna go like, go hot tub with my family, do like her bedtime, book time routine, we hang out. She goes to bed at like 8, 30, 9 o'clock, and then I'm gonna watch the movies and hang out. That's a day for me. Like that, that kind of day, minus the hour and a half in the morning I have with the contractors, that day is like perfect. Like that's the kind of day I want to lead. 
And it's not about the money. It's just about like being fulfilled at that point. And for me, that is like a good day. So that's what I'm looking at doing more of in 2020. Today was, I don't even know what date is today. It's Wednesday, Wednesday, because it's the Wise Wealth Show. Um, so the Mike Rosar live show every Wednesday, of course. Um, yeah, so on an odd Wednesday, this is what I was up to. Tomorrow, I'll do the same thing probably. Friday, I'm gonna link up for some sushi with a friend for lunch and then go look at some properties maybe, hang out with the family. Like every day is open and I love that. I It killed me last year to look at my calendar and it started to feel like a job when I had like investor calls booked out date like in advance and I had like calls and with employees and touch bases. I don't want employees. Like I, I don't want that. I don't want employees. I don't really want investors that much. Like I'm okay with investors that are extremely passive and willing to, to not be actively involved. That's just my personal preference. And I'm okay with um, not having to actively manage any of my properties. If a tenant has my number, I've failed. If a contractor is calling me directly to discuss anything, I've probably failed beyond like the introduction walkthrough of the property, I've failed. So that's my new set, set of goals for this year. Last year, I set the goal of putting the tools down. So I stopped renovating, right? And I put the tools down. And I've mostly honored that for the whole year. This year, my personal house, I guess in December and January, I picked up some tools a little bit to help keep morale good with the contractors. But by and large, I've honored that. And that was my New Year's resolution in 2019 was I was putting my drill and my tools away. I didn't want to be doing any construction work. I'd done it for six or seven years. I figured my time is now worth more than, you know, it was worth. And that was just a, for me a point where I said, hey, you know, I've got enough properties and I've got enough wealth that I can afford to outsource it. And if you can't afford, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with, if you're just getting started, you have two, three, four, five, six properties, you probably can't afford to outsource and that's okay, you gotta do the work, but eventually you will be able to. Um, so yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's just finding your happy place. And I think for me, I'd rather make half a million dollars a year and work two hours a day and have like a 10 hour work week than make a million dollars a year and work 60 hours a week. I've done both, like I've been in both positions and I'm telling you, you can do it too. It's not that hard to achieve that once you get on the roll. Real estate's a fantastic way to make a million dollars in one year. Now, what I didn't obviously say in the video title was to get to that point, it's gonna take you three to five years. You're going to have to grind through. Oh, future was, I see my comments don't go through. I think your comments went through. I just haven't gotten to them yet. I see message retracted, but I don't see, hmm, maybe because, I don't know. I do see message retracted, but that one went through for some reason. I'll get to the question and answers in just a second. But um, yeah, just for me, that's that's my thing. That's, that's what I'm up to. Um, yeah, I just do these streams every week because I enjoy just documenting. I like to go back and just use this as a place where like I therapeutically dot, like vent what's been going on in my life and where my mindset was. And hopefully that adds some value to your guys' life as well. I use this as almost like a journal. And then the last half of the, the stream is usually just question and answer where I'm just giving value away for free. So people pay me a couple hundred bucks an hour to talk to me. You can ask me anything you want right here and I'll give you my mostly unfiltered opinion. And don't hold this against me legally because I often do like just say what's on my mind. Joe says he can hear and see me. Right on. Cool. Hi, Joe. Hey, William. Good to see you on. The system is definitely broken. It is broken. And I would love if everyone here today would take the opportunity to share on their social media a story. And I, I manage a lot of, pro I've been managed, I did manage a lot of properties. I don't anymore. I managed a lot of properties and a lot of tenants. And I can tell you there's a lot of system abuses and it's bad. Um, so share those stories of the landlord tenant board being backed up for months and months of you know, the stories of tenants getting away on technicalities and abusing the system. All of this stuff is, 
you know, it's just an abuse of the system. And I would like to see a fair system where, you know, tenants paid the rent that was market. And that, that was it. And landlords provided great places for people to live. And if you're a scum landlord who doesn't fix up your property and you're getting market value, that's a problem. Like if a tenant is paying no rent and then wants the best place in the world, no, I, I, I get that. Like you're paying bad rent, you shouldn't have a nice place. But if you're paying fair rent, then you should get a fair place. Your rent should be proportional to your place. And so I think landlords, and there's nothing wrong with having C units. There are lots of C units that are like old floors and super dated, and that's okay. Those units sell at a discount for rent, and that's okay. Um, and there are lots of units that are A units that have like the nicest granite countertops. But guess what? You're not gonna get that unit for under market rent. You're gonna pay top dollar rent per month for that unit, and that's okay. There's a tenant that likes that. There's a tenant that likes the C unit too. Um, so anyway, that's, that's my rant about that. Um, you'll have to share your Disney hacks you came across looking at heading there in the fall. Eric, right on, yeah. Um, Disney Downtown is free in Orlando. It's a great place to go with the kids for the first day as the introductory visit to Disney. Um, they get to experience a lot of the stuff that's basically the shops. There's a lot of cool stuff in Disney Downtown that is free. It's a full day of fun. They have like the Cirque du Soleil stuff there. Um, yeah, honestly, it's a great, great first place to go. Um, but there are hacks you can get in. When you're at the Disney downtown, they have these seminars you sit in. They're two hours long where they try to sell you condo timeshares. And like everyone knows timeshares are like the worst investment you could ever make. Um, so you sit through that for two hours and you get free passes to Disney. That's a hack that I heard of that works pretty well. So if you don't mind, like I'll probably sit on Instagram for two hours and sit through one of those at Disney downtown and get us free passes into Disney. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's lots of things you can do frugally on the frugal hack side if you want to, to, to get a really like cheap and affordable vacation. My, another one of my new year's resolutions in 2020 has been to put cost aside. So I'll probably spend a thousand dollars on this trip, like on miscellaneous things, like maybe Universal Studios, Disney, whatever. It doesn't even matter to me anymore. I'm trying this year actively to spend a hundred thousand dollars personally. So I'll probably get Tesla this year, just cause. I'll probably get a, uh, I've already upgraded my house into like, this is probably the worst room in my house, but like it's a nice room even. And um, I'll probably upgrade like in many areas, my vacation, my miscellaneous spending. I've been eating out more than I ever have. If someone asks me to go for sushi, I just go. Like I don't, I'm, I do try to look for the frugal deals where I can because I get a rise out of being efficient with my money. And I just like, that's a personal thing for me. Like food, if you give me a coupon and I get the food for half price, the same food, it tastes better to me. I don't know why. But if I pay full price for food and I get half price for the same food, it just tastes better to me half price. I don't know why, just it's a thing, it's the way I was raised, I don't know. But it's just like, that's that's my little rise, I just enjoy that. Um, we all have our, our, our quirks and stuff like that, that's mine. And that quirk lends itself well to frugality. It lends itself well to becoming a multi-millionaire because if you're frugal and you learn high value skills, you will become rich. If you make a lot of money and you invest it smartly and you don't spend a lot, guess what, that gap, goes to building your net worth over time and you get rich. That is the simple math. The Grant Cardones of the world, they're all in here like, well, it's not about, you know, don't manage the dollars. Dollars are, and pennies, who cares about that? Focus on the high dollar, focus on the sales, spend whatever you gotta spend to build your knowledge, spend whatever you gotta spend to do this and that. Like, I'm actually, I don't agree with that advice wholeheartedly. I think you should watch your bottom line. I don't think you should go spend $100,000 on a coach or $12,000 on the newest course. I think it's probably a waste of money. You could probably get the same value from that course for free by finding another way to talk to that mentor for free. 
almost all the guys from the Stefan Arnios of the world to all those guys who coach, I could probably get meetings with all of them just by like appealing to their good nature and going to lunch with them, right? So you can learn a lot from people for free and you'd be surprised. I'd rather have 50 lunches with 50 different people than 50 lunches with one person. So I've always preferred to talk to all the investors out there and learn all the real estate investing strategies. And that's been my skill set. And I've never paid for a real estate course ever. I've never paid for real estate coaching ever. And I'm arguably one of the, I don't know, top hundred successful real estate investors in London, in, not in London, probably in Canada, right? I've done like 70, like at my age to do the number of deals I've done to make seven, eight figure real estate portfolio. That's a lot with no coaching and no money ever spent on courses or anything. And you know how I did it? I went on Google and I talked to a lot of people. That's it. Like it's all there for free. I'm not exceptionally smart. I'm not exceptionally gifted. In fact, I took my LSATs, your, your law school admission tests. Um, I took those when I was in the Richard Ivy School of Business and I did terribly. I didn't study for it. I thought I'd be fine. I took it and I bombed it. So there you go. I'm not necessarily a smart guy. There's nothing special about me. What I am good at is working really, really hard. Like I'm a workaholic, facts. Like my retirement looks like some people's work. Um, I just enjoy, and like the work part, I don't like administration work. I don't like any of that stuff, but the high value skills, I love that stuff. And so it just so happens that I'm wired in a way that like my downtime is just me chilling on like MLS. And it just so happens that makes me money. Um, some people's downtime is gaming. And if you're that good at gaming, you can make money from that too. Um, but I'm nothing special. You can do exactly what I did. You can start wholesaling right now and finding off-market deals. And as soon as you have deals under contract, do it conditionally so you can back out, get them under contract, start sharing those with people on Kijiji. Put a Kijiji ad out there or Craigslist ad and say, hey, I have a property under market. I'm looking to assign. And just put an ad out there. Like, you know, do looking for investors, have under market deals. People will start flooding to you. You will, I guarantee you, and like go to five meetup groups and you're local within two hours of driving distance where you live now and meet all the real estate investors there and say you have an off-market deal and go to lunches with those people. And after a few weeks or months of that, I guarantee you have your first property deal and it will come together. Someone will find the financing if the deal's good enough. So that's a good place to start. You start doing that, it starts snowballing. Next thing you know, you got 10 deals. Once you have 10 deals, then everyone starts knowing who you are and start knowing what you're doing. Then if you wanna do 20 deals, boom, you're good, right? And every deal you do, if you do it smart, you, you follow the systems I talk about for free on my channel. If you follow a lot of the stuff that you know, out there and the systems out there, but basically just keeping your cost low and adding strategic value to your properties, you will make money. Hand over fist, like hand over fist, even in a flat market, even when there's no appreciation. If you have appreciation bonus, you'll make even more. Okay, let's do some question and answer because I got to go into the hot tub. It's 30 minutes and no one reminded me. You're supposed to remind me, guys. You're supposed to remind me of my commitments to my daughter. I got to go hot tubbing. Do you think Toronto house prices will crash? Andrew, great question. I think that Toronto, and by the way, for the 54 people that are watching right now, smash that like button. Uh, I need the engagement and drop me a comment and say hi. Thank you for all for watching. If you're watching the replay, hi. What do I think about Toronto house prices? I just did a video on Matt McKeever's channel. I've been doing videos just on his channel recently and none on mine except for my live streams. And that's for a number of reasons. One being, I just don't have the time to do the editing and me and Kyle have just been so busy that we just haven't had a chance to do any videos. But anyway, um, what do I think? I shared a lot of my opinions in that video. So go check out Matt Kiever's video, not now, after the stream, where we talked about housing crashes. And I did a video in 2019, I guess like six months ago, sharing more of my thoughts on the current housing market. So go and check that video out. It's one of my top 10 videos, I think, under popular uploads. You'll see it there, like 2019 market crash. 
I talk about a lot of the data there about what I think about market corrections and market crashes and things like that. But um, my thoughts are the Toronto market already had a bit of a correction. If you look at some of the data in certain segments of the market, we've seen a bit of a pullback, right? Especially in the GTA surrounding Toronto specifically. So I think we've already seen a bit of a pullback. Is it possible that there could be a further correction in pricing? You know, five, 10%? Yes, that's totally possible. Do I think that's gonna bankrupt you? No, as a real estate investor, what I know is that we live in a fiat currency environment where the money supply continues to increase over time, right? Because of, you know, uh, basically the government sets targets for inflation. So basically devaluing our money over time. And so you, what you know for a fact is that house prices today are always lower than they will be in 15 years. So a long time from now, you will have regretted not buying that property. <laughs> in two years, you might, you might regret it, but in 10 years, you'll never regret it. You'll never regret having bought the property. You'll regret that you, basically, you'll never regret having bought a property. Like, I think that's pretty much a fact. If you can hold the property and it cash flows for a long period of time, you won't regret it. That's what the data suggests. Over the last 200 years, you'll always have done well over a long period of time owning real estate. It's a solid asset. It holds its value. They're not making more of it. And immigration trends for Canada are suggesting that we continue to take in more people. Population is rising, which means there'll be continued demand for housing. So if you're investing in residential housing, you're doing well. I don't specifically like office space. I don't like commercial office space. I stay away from that. I don't like commercial retail space either. I think retail spaces are shrinking. I think people are buying things online. That's a trend we're seeing. I think that retail commercial space, despite being easier to manage than residential tenanted properties, I think they have, has a lower long-term upside. I think that people will always need somewhere to live. That's important. So if you're investing in residential commercial real estate, like apartment buildings, cool. Then if you're buying office space, people are working from home now more than ever. Businesses don't need the space. People are telecommuting. People are, there's just not a demand for it like there used to be. And we know that brick and mortar is dying. So probably avoid those types of real estate investing. Um, anyway, that's my, my thought on Toronto. I think London is still poised. It could do very well in certain sectors. I think there are pockets of London I wouldn't be investing in right now that are overvalued. I think there are lots of properties on MLS right now that are overvalued and people are still buying them, which is driving the market up, but there are also still a ton of deals to be had in the market right now. Properties selling below replacement cost, for instance. That's a major, um, I think, buying signal for me still, but they're again, less and less. So the market is changing. Um, we do need to see a GDP growth. We do need to see some average income per capita and we need to see some debt per capita numbers drop in order for us to feel comfortable, I think, with saying that the market is currently balanced. I would say it's not quite balanced. I would say in Southwestern Ontario, that there is a bit of a skew towards um, things being unaffordable. I would say there's a bit of a skew towards a potential recession. We have the longest bull market in history. So boom and bust cycles. We're in one of the biggest boom cycles we've seen. We're due for a bust. Now that's not a catalyst. That's not a reason to, to not invest, right? We need a catalyst. A catalyst is a reason for a recession to start. There needs to be a reason, right? Um, collateral, collateralized debt obligations or CDOs that were packaged up basically in the United States was one of the catalysts for the 2008 crash. I don't see any really, really good convincing catalysts in Canada right now to signal us to have a recession right now. But that doesn't mean we aren't gonna have one. It just means that I don't see an active catalyst in the next three to six months that's gonna catapult, catapult us into a recession right now. So I don't see a good catalyst for one right now. I've had people jump out and throw different catalysts my way that could be you know, potential triggers or catalysts for a recession. I don't know if I agree with them all. Um, I'm still buying real estate right now. I'm very cautious about what I'm buying. 
I wouldn't buy all real estate, probably eight out of 10 properties I see on the MLS I would not touch. I think there's a lot of overvalued stuff, but there is still a lot of value. And I'm buying for cash flow and I'm buying for the long term. So I know in 10 years I'll have done well. And I'm buying it for income producing today, income for production from rental income, right? I don't care about the appreciation. I'm not a speculative investor for the most part. I have a couple of properties. I have a land development that I'm doing right now. My first and only land development, I think, um, we're doing a small subdivision. There's four lots on the lake and those are going up for sale soon. We got it all severed. It's all done. That was a long, almost two years. It'll be two years this June or yeah, this June will be a two year project to get it all severed and do our first subdivision agreement and run in services and utilities. I may or may not build. I'm looking for a builder partner to partner with on that or I might just sell the lot. So if you want a lot with beach, like here on deeded beach rights between Sarnia and Grand Bend, hit me up. But um, other than that, I, uh, I, I try to stay away from that. And even going into a recession, I don't want to be holding on to that kind of stuff. Being a developer is very scary in a recession, right? Being a speculative real estate investor is very scary. Being a Toronto real estate investor who isn't investing in cash flow is very scary in a recession. Being a London investor where I have thousand cash flow per property, I, my portfolio is like, we go underwater in property values. I'm like, I'm getting cash and checks every single month. I'm good. I'm holding. I've already refinanced all my equity out. I've burned these properties. Like I have no money in the deals anyway. They're all free equity I created. So I'm not losing really anything anyway. So for me, I'm in a position where I'm still buying and I'm still acquiring. It just makes sense. Anyway, so that was a long-winded answer. I got a quick, 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 quick. I got to go fast. You can hear my daughter in the background. I'm coming, Emma. Uh, Orlando is very cool, but it seems like they have a high crime rate. Yeah, Gabriel, they do have, if you look at some of the data, it isn't as good as somewhere like London, Ontario. But if you're in the touristy areas around Disney in Orlando, there is some cool Airbnb potential there. Um, it'd be a good reason for me to have a flight to Orlando every year to check out my rental property there or my Airbnb. Um, it'd be a good reason to go south. So for me, I'm like looking at Costa Rica, I'm looking at Orlando, I'm looking at a few different areas like Arizona, places I'd like to go in the winter when it's cold and I'd invest there so I have something to do while I'm enjoying my little snowbird uh, vacation. So that's more the motivation for me, getting a good return on my money while enjoying a vacation, right? So it's kind of my thing, but we'll see. $100,000 rental with a GC compared to sourcing out each of the individual jobs. Is it worth it? How much do you save on average by sourcing out the project yourself? Great question, Bill. The answer is it depends. It depends on the project. It depends on so many different factors. If it's a small job, you're probably better with a lot of intricate little pieces. You're probably better bringing in a GC. If it's a big job, you're probably better managing yourself because you'll save a lot of money. I have found that by subbing things out, typically I will save 30 to 50%. So on a $100,000 renovation, I can usually do it for 50 to 70 right? So I'll save between 50, 30 to $50,000 doing it myself. Now, if I have five of those projects on the go or 10 of those projects on the go, if I save $50,000 times 10 projects, that's 500 grand a year for me to project manage my own stuff. And that's part-time like messaging trades on my phone. It's not like hard laborious work, it's just project managing. So I, as of last year said yes to being my own project manager. This year I'm saying no. It's a very well-paid position. Um, you're probably better just to hire a project manager if you have enough projects and then just have them do all the work for you. But um, yeah, so the quick answer is it's a lot of work, but yes, it will save you a fair amount of money. There are, however, GCs that underprice their jobs, in which case you could get a really good price and they may honor it for a job or two before they go bankrupt. Most contracting companies go bankrupt. Most, look at me, Kevin, look at myself, like all of us who did contracting businesses, we closed down and lost money. It is hard to be a reputable contractor and make money unless you're really good at pricing jobs. I'm the kind of guy who says yes to things and that's why it was bad of me to renovate other people's properties because I'm the kind of guy who wants to honor the quality work and no one wants to do it. Everyone wants to pay very little money and get a great job and get it done quick. And you just can't have all three, right? There's quality, price, and reliability. 
Those are the three things. There's the price you pay, there's the quality you get of the work, and there's how reliable they are. So you can't have all three. You gotta pay a lot if you want them to be there every day on budget, or I mean on time and quality work. But if you don't want quality work, you can get it fast and cheap. <laughs> so do you want fast and cheap and no quality? Or do you want some quality, okay price? You know, I always try to find the middle of all three, depending on the project. If I'm renovating a C or D class property, then I would probably go for fast and cheap. If I'm renovating like a B or C or A or B property, I'd probably go for higher quality because my name's gonna be exposed. If it's a flip, I'm going for high quality. So I want my name to be associated with a good quality property. Uh, and then I would probably go for the higher price and then I probably suffer on the reliability, unfortunately, right? Unless you just pay a really high price, in which case you can get everything you want except for price. Um, so that's my thoughts on that. Um, what's up, Mike? Haven't been on the stream for a while. Hey, little pump. Good to see you on. How would you turn 15,000 into $100,000 a year? You need to actively build a business. There's no passive way to do that. There's nothing you can invest in that will give you that kind of return without a lot of risk. So you can take the 15 grand and buy vending machines and make a business or take 15 grand and start a wholesale business and invest in marketing and then have a few deals under contract and start a business that way. You could, there's lots of things you can do with that 15 grand, but to get 15 grand into a hundred grand a year, it's gotta be invested into a business. Like that's it. You can, there's lots of cool businesses you could start. Find your hobby and, and do that. Uh, how would you invest your investors next $100,000? So I'd probably invest it in real estate or private lending. So that would be the way I would go. If you had 100 grand, you can invest it in private mortgages, get 10, 12% return or something like that, which is like $1,000 a month return. Or you can take $100,000 and buy a property and get $1,000 a month, probably plus some mortgage pay down and some lift on the appreciation and or forced equity added to the deal. Uh, I need to be able to quickly assess potential rents. Can you provide a note at Novice with a very general rule of thumb for approximating rent per bedroom? So Harriet in London, Ontario, it is between 425 and 625 a bedroom. The average rule of thumb I use here in London is $500 a bedroom a month. That's a rule of thumb. It changes based on if you have a bathroom, how big the room is, uh, are there other roommates? How many roommates are there? Is this a six bedroom house or a two bedroom house? Two bedroom house might get $700 a bedroom, right? So it just depends on the number of factors that come into play, but a rough rule of thumb I use in London, Ontario is $500 a bedroom. So $500 a bedroom times say five rooms means you're gonna get $2,500 a month for that property. If you're paying 250 grand for the property, that's a great deal, it's a 1% rule property. Very, very hard to find. Next, um, be careful, USA is not like Canada, complying with IRS is definitely worse destroying your finance, stay out of the US. Uh, so yeah, I mean, Canada Revenue Agency is also terrible um, to deal with in general. They like to run people through the ringer. I'm sure the IRS is just as bad. But here's the thing. I don't mind paying tax. Like if I'm paying tax, it means that I have made a lot of money. And so it's okay. Um, it's okay to pay tax. Paying tax, don't complain about it because it means you've made a lot of money. Or it means you're an idiot and had no write-offs, I guess. But... Anyway, um, or you have bad bookkeeping. I've seen that too, where contractors didn't keep any receipts and then they just claimed all their, all their revenue as income, which is don't do that either. If you have real receipts, claim them. Okay. 10 times that 1 million, son. Exactly. Love your talks from the UK. Wish you would work. Wish you did would work, but getting HMO license is hell. So I don't know what that means, um, HMO license, like a mortgage broker license, um, must be a US thing. Here in Canada, you have like a realtor, real estate realtor license or you have like a mortgage license. Uh, but thank you for the, the compliment, I appreciate that. Is the hardest part just getting the down payment? No, the hardest part in real estate is not the money. The money is actually easy to get. The hardest part is finding the deals and then actually really the hardest part is not even finding the deals in my opinion, it is actually managing the deal into a deal. You know what I mean? 
So there are a lot of properties out there that people pass by me that are not deals as they are. You have to make them into a deal. Lots of single family properties. You buy them at market value. If you list them tomorrow, they'd be worth exactly what you paid for them. But you could finesse it into a duplex or secondary dwelling unit. Boom, now you just made 50 grand because you knew how to finesse the property and turn it into the property that it needed to be to unlock that value. That is where the, that the expert part. You can hand two people the same property and one person makes no money with that property and one person makes 50 grand because they knew how to unlock the value. And that's, that's something that's important. How did you soundproof your basement? Bill, great question. I did soundproof my basement and it is done amazingly well. We did double layer of rock saw with air gaps to ensure that there's a sound lock between the floor. We did a, okay, so what do we do? We did resilient channel. We did resilient channel. We did layer of five eighths drywall. We did green glue, another layer of five eighths drywall. And we did the, the rock saw fire insulation. So fire insulation in the, between the joists, then resilient channel to suspend the drywall, then a layer of five eighths, then green glue, which is a viscous, never drying material that keeps the, the two layers of drywall we have um, forever from touching to keep the vibration of the noise. And even that isn't perfect. The music coming up, I can't hear anything, but footsteps still go down. So as hard as you try to soundproof a property, it is never perfect. It's pretty good. Oh yes, and the sonal panel. We use this product called Sonal Panel. Fantastic product um, around ductwork to wrap it around your ductwork and things like that. So it's, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's one of those things where you can never get it perfect, but we did it as best a job as we can. And I am satisfied with the end product. I spent probably $10,000 or more soundproofing, probably more than I will ever get out of this house. But for me, this is a forever house. And so I made that investment for quality of life. I don't wanna hear the guys downstairs. I don't want them to hear me. I wanna enjoy my house hack. I gotta go guys. If I have any more questions, I'll try to jump in the, if there's any more questions, I'll jump in the comments. If you repaste this question after the video is done in the comments, I will respond to it, if that sounds good. Uh, how do you find off-market deals? It's a long-winded answer, but there's lots of private marketing that I do, a lot of networking that I do. There are a lot of ways to find private deals, but the short answer is this. You have to spend, 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 or you won't find the deals. You have to spend money or time, and a lot of both. If you spend a lot of time invested in finding properties and a lot of money, you have to spend both money and time. You have to invest in the marketing. You have to invest in building the brand. You have to invest in spending the time to knock the doors. All that's super important. If you don't spend time and money, you won't find deals. People go wholesale for a week or two and they're like, I didn't find any deals. Did you spend any money? Did you spend enough time? Consistent reliability. Okay, she's knocking. I gotta go. I'm coming, Emma. Joe, it's the recycling investor. It's time for the hot tub. Yep, it is. I gotta go, guys. Thank you so much for tuning into the stream, everyone. I appreciate all of you guys for tuning in. And we have like over 100 people tuned in. So I'm so thankful for all of you guys who did tune in. Um, as a random aside, should I, should I shave this ugly beard uh, that I've been trying to grow or not? Because it's been a week and it's uh, been itching. Anyway, spend less, earn more, and maximize returns. I'll see you guys all in the comments and on Instagram, at Mike Rosehart. Bye, everyone.